Good morning. So three months from yesterday, 49 of us are getting on a plane and headed out to Israel to tour Israel. We're so excited to do that. They had to get an extra bigger bus for us because we had so much interest. And I I bring it up, uh, not to make you jealous because you're not going, but (laughs) to let you know that there are two positions available. And so if you have a path, your passport needs to be ready to go. So if if you've got that, if you'd like to be a part of it, you can still do uh, Israel with us. Um, If that's you, just come and talk to me after the service, and I'll get your name and get you hooked up with who you need to uh, register with and all of that. So it's out there. It's a good possibility. We are in Exodus chapter 11 this morning. I invite you to turn there. Second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 11, very important section of scripture. They're all important, but this one's really, really important. Father, we ask your blessing now as we turn to your word. We pray that you would bless our time. God, I pray that you would speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let us see. Change hearts, bring us into your kingdom, bring us closer to you. Go before us in this study. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Last week, we looked at the ten plagues that God sent upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And this morning, I want to take a closer look at that tenth and final plague. This was a devastating plague. This is the plague that absolutely finally breaks the stubborn spirit of Pharaoh. After this plague... Pharaoh says, you can go, take your people and go. And so we want to look at it very carefully this morning because it gives us a very important picture that I want you to see. So let's uh, really carefully observe together what transpires. Look at verse 4 of chapter 11. Then Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go into the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the hand mill, and all the firstborn of the animals, then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue. Against man or beast that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. So we're looking at the events of that first Passover night. And on midnight of that Passover night, the Lord struck down all of the firstborn of the Egyptians in the land. An angel was sent, an angel referred to later as the destroyer, 
every firstborn was killed. Without exception, from the house of Pharaoh all the way down to the house of the most lowly slave, even among all the animals, the firstborn was killed. Pharaoh lost his son that night. And that would have been a big deal. Remember, Pharaoh was seen as the embodiment of the Egyptian gods. And the Pharaoh who was reigning had been completely discredited by all of the plagues. Now his son was dead. The next one that would come on the throne, the next one to be seen as the god. Absolutely devastating. Death came to every house in Egypt that night. Verse 6 says, there was a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as it was not like before, nor shall like it be again. This is a Hebrew phrase that's also used in the Old Testament to speak of thunder. Thunder in a storm. That night, Egypt was filled with thunderous grief, a wailing, a mourning. It was a horrific plague, devastating, severe. And some of you might even be thinking, well, it sounds really cruel. God taking the lives of all the firstborn sounds awfully harsh. Well, listen, God is the giver of life and the taker of life. Please understand that we are all accountable To a God who holds our very lives in his hands. And every day is a gift. Every breath is a gift. But remember also as we talked last week briefly. God is a God of justice. And in all of these plagues. Specifically this tenth plague. God is dishing out justice equally and fairly. He is punishing Pharaoh and the Egyptians for the atrocities that they committed against the Hebrew slaves. Remember, Pharaoh in Egypt murdered many infant males of the Hebrew slaves, took them from their mother's breast while infants, and threw them in the Nile River. A life for a life. This was almost exact Retribution, And remember that Pharaoh and the Egyptians were guilty of, of, of treating the Hebrew slaves cruelly, barbaric oppression. In fact, way back in Exodus chapter 3, when God first gives a vision of himself to Moses at the burning bush, he says this to Moses, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in, in, in Egypt, and I have heard their cry. Because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. See that word cry? Same word as the cry there in verse 6. For years, for decades, the Hebrew slaves were crying out with the thunderous roar of grief. So that night, Egypt would cry. Justice was being served. And please understand that Pharaoh was given lots of opportunity to repent. Lots of opportunity. At least nine chances. There were nine plagues previous to this one. 
The water turned to blood, the frogs, the gnats or lice, the flies, the livestock, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness. At every one of those plagues, Pharaoh could have surrendered, but he didn't. Every opportunity, he hardened his heart against the Lord. And in fact, the events of Passover night, Pharaoh was given advanced warning at least four days. Pharaoh, God said, let my people go or else. And Pharaoh did not obey. And so these events came. And in fact, all the way back in Exodus chapter 4, before one single plague was poured out upon Egypt, Moses was to deliver this message to Pharaoh. You say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. He had advanced warning all the way back to chapter 4. This didn't have to happen. But Pharaoh ignored all of that. He hardened his heart, and he refused. And sad to say, there are many, many, many people like Pharaoh. There are a lot of people who simply refuse to believe in the judgment of God or to take it lightly. They think, ah, God's going to let me do what I want. I'm not accountable to him. I can do whatever And many, many people do that. Listen, you're to take the judgment of God seriously. Hebrews chapter 10 says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this, the what? The judgment. God is a God of justice. He is a God of holiness. And he was given Pharaoh much, much time. But Pharaoh was stubborn to the very end. So judgment came. Now, the Hebrews, living in the land of Egypt that night, they were spared. There was no death in their houses. No cries of grief. Verse 7 even says, the dogs didn't even yelp. No judgment came. But they had to make preparations. That's why. God gave them very specific instructions. So look at chapter 12. Look at verse 3. Look what... God's people were required to do. Verse 3, God saying to Moses, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the person's According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb, verse 5, shall be without blemish, 
a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. God commanded his people to select a lamb. Every household in the land of Egypt among the Hebrew slaves was commanded to take a lamb. One lamb per household. If a household were too small for one lamb, the neighbors could join together and one lamb would suffice for both of them. The lamb was to be one year or younger, a yearling, a baby lamb. Without blemish, without spot, without handicap. I picture in my mind the cutest, most precious, innocent little baby lamb you can find. They were to select a lamb. They would hold that lamb in their household for four days. They would bond with that lamb. I bet the kids thought this lamb was like a pet. This beautiful little innocent baby lamb. They were to keep it for four days and then look at verse 6. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it. At twilight, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. I can't imagine how emotional, how graphic that would have been. Every household with a lamb, at twilight on Passover, They were to kill their lambs. They would have slit the throat. The blood would have poured out, soaked the white wool. You find out later that the blood was to be poured out in a basin. All of the blood kept. And the basins are those containers at at the front of the doorways that usually held water and you'd wash your feet in them. Sometimes they were even built into the doorframe. They caught the blood of the lamb in that. And then... With a hyssop branch, that blood of the lamb was to be painted to each side of the doorframe and the top. Verse 8 says, then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So the lamb was killed, the blood was poured out, it was applied to their doorframe, And then the whole family was commanded to eat that lamb. It was to be roasted in fire, not boiled. It was to be eaten with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. It was to be eaten in entirety. There were to be no leftovers. 
Whatever was left was to be utterly burned up and consumed by morning. So God said to his people, this is what you're commanded to do. On Passover night, you need to do this. Why? Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So you find out here on Passover night, the destroyer went to every house, everyone, even the Hebrew slaves. And God says, you need to have that blood marked on your houses. So when the death angel comes, if he sees the blood, he'll pass over that house. Very strong in the Hebrew. He'll leap over. No judgment will come to that house. If the angel comes to a house and there is no blood. Judgment would be rendered. There would be death in that house, the death of the firstborn. So those are the instructions. And the Hebrews obeyed. They obeyed. Verse 21, skip ahead in chapter 12. Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves. According to your families, kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Man, you stay put in that house. Stay secure in that house, marked by the blood. For the Lord will pass, verse 23, through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer. To come into your houses to strike you. Verse 28. The children of Israel went away and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And then the clock struck midnight. Verse 29. It came to pass at midnight. That the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where one was not dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron. Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks. And that night, a nation of about two million plus packed up, ready to go. And they left Exodus behind. They left Egypt behind. And perhaps the greatest event in the history of Israel, their exodus 
out of Egypt. They were set free. They were redeemed. They were spared judgment because of the blood of the Lamb. They were redeemed because of the blood of a Lamb. They left the kingdom of darkness because of the blood of a Lamb. And off they went. And this is the most significant event in Israel's history. In fact, 3,500 years later, every year between March and April, Jews gather. And they participate in the Passover Seder, don't they? Every year, wherever they at, they gather in homes, they gather in synagogues, and they go through the Exodus story. Incredibly significant moment in their life. Also a very significant event in our lives as, as Christians. This story and many stories like it in the Old Testament point to the ultimate story. It points to the main story of the Bible, the gospel message. This is a clear, graphical picture and illustration of salvation. Of everything that's required of us, of everything that God has done for us. In that Passover story, there is a lot of sin and bloodshed and death and judgment. And we live in a fallen world where there is a lot of sin and bloodshed and death and judgment. You do realize that right now we're living in a world that is not the world as originally created by God. You realize that, right? When God created us, he put us in a garden. We were in paradise. We had it made. But God created mankind in his image. The only part of his creation, us, human beings, God created in his image. And as such, we were created with a free will, the ability to choose. Now, why would he do that? Because God didn't want to program a bunch of robots. And think about this. You can't have true love without true free will. God invented love. Love isn't real if there's not free will. It doesn't work if you're programmed to love. If your wife asks you, You know, if you love her, don't say, yes, I was programmed to. Don't. That's going to get you in a lot of trouble. (laughs) I was programmed to love you. You don't do that. So you think about that. Why did God create us with free will? For love. So we could love one another, choose it, and so we could love God. And so God gave us a choice in the garden. And mankind was deceived by the serpent, and mankind chose to disobey. Sin 
was born in the Garden of Eden. And Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. Listen, there's death in this world because we live in a fallen world because we live in sin. We disobeyed God. We brought this upon ourselves. Romans 3 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 The wages of sin is death. We're all sinful. Our sin separates us from God who is not sinful. God is holy, sinless. We blew it. We brought sin. And in the Passover story, it's very clear. The Egyptians and Pharaoh, man, they were sinners. They showed it in their treatment of the Hebrew slaves. But understand this. The Hebrew slaves were also sinners. Moses was a sinner. Aaron, who would become the first priest of Israel, was a sinner. We're all born sinners. I'm a sinner. And our sin separates us from God. And because he is holy and sinless and just and perfect and righteous, he is right and just in his punishment of sin. So, yes, it is very important to understand the judgment of God and to be warned of it. And you see that so clearly in the Passover story. However, we also see the grace of God and the love of God. Though we blew it, God moved in history to make it possible for us to be forgiven. And you see that so clearly in the Passover story. In order for them to be saved, they had to select a lamb. The Passover lamb is symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ. All over scripture, Jesus is called the lamb of God. When John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Revelation chapter 5, John gets a vision I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. The lamb that has been slain all over the Bible, all over the New Testament, Jesus Christ is said, the spotless, holy, innocent lamb of God, who left heaven and came here. Oh, the details in that story. That lamb had to be perfect. That lamb had to be free from spot and blemish. No handicap. Had to be innocent. And that points to Jesus. Jesus is completely without blemish. No sin. A man in sinless perfection. A perfect keeper of the law. Not stained by sin. Moral and spiritual perfection. So is Jesus the Lamb of God. And as that lamb moved in with the family for four days, and there may have been a bond, think of this. Jesus, the Son of God, moved into the human race for 32 years, walked among us, walked with his apostles, formed a bond with the human race. God became man. A lamb was sent. In the Passover story, in order for the folks to be saved... The lamb had to be slaughtered. 
perfect spotless lamb. And so Jesus, the lamb of God, was sacrificed for us. 1 Corinthians verse 5, verse 7 says, Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are in leaven. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. The Passover lamb is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Passover lamb sacrificed is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed. And I see so many details. I can't help but look at that and think, You got blood to the left and to the right and to the top. Doesn't that foreshadow a blood-stained cross? We're also told in John chapter 19 that when Jesus asked for a drink of water from the cross, he was offered sour wine to drink on the cross, and the sponge soaked with it was put on a bunch of hyssop, a hyssop branch. Like the hyssop that was used to spread the blood in the Passover story. All of the Gospels indicate that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified at Passover. In fact, he and his disciples had just celebrated Passover. In fact, Jesus had changed the meaning of the Passover Seder to the communion service. Think of it. The Son of God. The Lamb of God was crucified on a cross at a time when thousands of Passover lambs were butchered and blood was poured out. It all points to Jesus. God gave a lamb, his son. His lamb was sacrificed. And in the Passover story, it's very clear that the blood of the lamb, the death of that lamb, was the substitute. The lamb died so that the firstborn inside the house wouldn't. The lamb died in its place. So when the destroying angel of the Lord came to a house and saw it marked with the blood of the lamb, the angel could say, someone has already died in this house. The penalty has been executed, therefore I can pass over this house. I can leap over this house. No need to judge this house. When the angel came to a house that was not marked with the blood of the lamb, the angel would say, this house is under judgment. The penalty has not been executed. Therefore, judgment must come to this house. The firstborn must die. Understand something so important. Death came to every single home in Egypt that night. Either the death of the firstborn or the death of the lamb. Death came to all. Jesus, the perfect son of God, died in our place. The Bible says that our sin was laid upon him. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. We have no idea how much he suffered on that cross, but being absolutely perfect, sinless, holy, all my junk was put on him. And all your junk. And all of the garbage of the human race. And he bore our sins. And he paid the price for our sins. 
He took the penalty that you and I deserve to take. You know, I think of the other detail in, in the Passover where the, the lamb had to be roasted in fire, consumed, completely burned. Jesus took the full measure of God's fiery wrath for all sin at the cross. All of it. Think of that. He died in our place. He was our substitute. In the Passover story, that blood had to be applied. Had to be applied. Couldn't sit in the basin. It had to be painted to that house. And my brother and my sister, my friend, if you want to be saved, if you want to be forgiven, then the precious blood of Jesus has to be applied to your life, to your heart, that all of your sins might be forgiven. Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his what? Blood. The forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter Chapter 1, knowing you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Think of that. The precious blood of Christ was spilled for you. And it must be applied to your life. Oh, what a verse that is. Do you understand the price for your soul? Do you understand what the price was for your redemption? The Lamb of God left heaven, gave his life for you. In this story, the blood of the Lamb had to be applied. But what actually would end up saving the people? How was it applied despite the obvious being painted on. What had to be there? The writer of Hebrews chapter 11 tells us, by faith Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, by faith, by faith. They painted that doorway with the blood of the lamb by faith. They're trusting in God for salvation. They're going in that house and they're staying. And my friend, that's exactly what you need to do. The Bible says that it is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. You do not get saved by trying to be better than other people, by doing good works. The Bible says sin is in total. Our sin needs to be forgiven. The lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, has died. On the third day he rose again. And if you put your faith in him, all of your sins will be forgiven. The blood of Christ applied to your life 
will cause the judgment of God to leap over your life. Have you received him? There is a wonderful little progression. Please stay with me. And I think this was embedded by the Holy Spirit. I want you to check this out. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 5. Look look at verse 3 of chapter 12. It's incredible. This was in the instructions that they were given. The Lord said, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb. In verse 3, it's a lamb. A lamb. Look what it says in verse 4. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. So a lamb, the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb, your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. A lamb, the lamb, your lamb. That's the progression. In order to get saved, you need to understand that you are a sinner and you need a lamb. You need someone to die in your place. And then you need to come to understand that Jesus Christ is the lamb. And then Jesus Christ, the lamb, has to become your lamb by faith. A lamb, the lamb, your lamb. It's not enough just to know that Jesus is the lamb or to know that you need a lamb. That's a great thing. Jesus has to become your lamb by faith. You have to bow before him. You have to invite him to be your savior. And then your sins will be forgiven. Oh, the significance of this passage. Oh, the picture. Christian, this is the story. It's the main story. Never forget it. Never forget what Jesus Christ has done for you. And what he saved you from. And the sacrifice that's been made. And that needs to spur you on. That needs to motivate you to follow Christ every day. Serve him. Worship him. Be a witness for him. Let that motivate you. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Christ. You've never understood your need. I hope you see it so clearly. If you haven't received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a couple moments. Do so. Be forgiven. Don't be stubborn like Pharaoh. God calls to people. He woos people to himself. And too many people turn their ear, rebel, stubbornly refuse. You don't be that person. Surrender your heart. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.
Lord, what an amazing story. What an amazing picture. I pray that we would never forget it. Lord, as your people, as your people. May we never forget the value of our souls. The precious blood that was poured out for our salvation. That washes away all of our sin. Lord, may we never forget that. May it motivate us every day what you've done for us. Lord, perhaps there's some here who know you but have strayed. They've forgotten how much you've done for them. Bring them back. Bring them back. And it may be you're here this morning and you know for a fact that you have never understood the gospel message like you've just seen it portrayed so clearly in the story. You know that you need a lamb. And you know that Jesus is the lamb. And right now, he needs to become your lamb. Receive him into your life through a prayer. You ask him by faith. You put your faith in him. He died for you and he rose again the third day and he's here alive. Ready to save you. If that's you, just in in the quietness of your heart with a simple prayer like this. You say, Lord Jesus, I bow before you recognizing that I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven. And I want to thank you this morning for your great sacrifice for me. For dying on the cross for all of my sins, washing them away. Right now, I receive you. I receive you. I receive the gift of salvation. Be my lamb. Be my savior. Be my Lord. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live for you the rest of my days. Thank you for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with